0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to another edition of BAM's Radio. They let me out of my cage, guys. I am Thomas Watts. I am generally the producer, but I get to talk because Cary Clark, one of our hosts, is taking the first hour off. He's got some church function to handle. I'm not real sure beyond that, but we have a great show planned. You know, Different group of BAM's characters, same great show. I do have Drew DeArmond with me, though. Drew, great to have you on. How you doing this evening, buddy?
2: Doing well, Thomas. Always good to be on with you. We're going to have an action-packed show, as always, for our listeners on BAM's Radio, our weekly podcast here. Uh, we uh, enjoy talking Bama for two hours every week with everyone, and we know the Tide returned to the practice field uh, yesterday. Uh, and for the second time this week, they will, of course, practice tomorrow as well. It's their first full week of spring practice after, of course, uh, a week ago uh, tomorrow, or I guess I guess I should say two weeks, but... um. But taking uh, they uh, practiced on Friday and uh, took a week off, uh, and now have been going at it uh, again. So uh, they've uh, they've uh, this is their first full week of spring drills after taking spring break off, and uh, they're not going to do anything this weekend because of the Easter Sunday holiday. They're not going to have any scrimmage on Saturday or control practice. The first scrimmage of the spring will be April the second. I will be in attendance for that. Uh, and uh, looking forward to kind of bringing everyone some tidbits and insight, and then they will scrimmage on April the ninth, and then of course A Day on the 16th. That sounds
1: like a uh, sounds like a full schedule for you. Uh, I get to go to A Day. That's about it for me. Unfortunately, traveling is just not in the cards because of school for me. But anyway,
2: yeah, yeah. there you go. Hey man,
1: I'm just gonna—I'll be blowing up your Twitter and your yeah, cell phone. Hey, you Give go. me all the insight. <laughs> oh, well,
2: you're the one that's gonna be real in the world. You're gonna have a doctorate and a, a master's, a bachelor's, and every other kind of thing going on. So, uh, the more the the, the the more degrees you get, the more money you make, as they say. So, uh, that, that there's always a payoff for that uh, for grinding and uh, continuing your education. Absolutely. Well,
1: you know, you mentioned a good show, and I'll just break it down straight up for our listeners we're going to have uh william redfish barger frequent contributor to the program he's going to join us at about 7 15. unfortunately i wish everything i could say was happy in bam's land or crimson tide land today but unfortunately uh kevin turner a player that fish actually he was on the team with in the early 90s passed away after a fight with als Fish is going to give us some of his stories from remembering Mr. Turner. Obviously, he's also going to talk a little bit of spring football, but uh, it's going, going to be an interesting first 45 with Fish. Hopefully, Kerry should be with us in the second hour. He should eight 8.05-ish, and if you're, if you're looking for Kerry on the show, that's when you'll get him. Paige Hockman. Uh, frequent frequent guest when the baseball season's going will join us at eight fifteen, and then at eight thirty, Mac Herford. Drew, I hope I pronounced that correctly.
2: Yes, I believe I believe we did. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Backstory: There, I've, I've screwed up this young man's name three or four times as we've mm. talked about the show. But Mac Herford, a uh, twenty sixteen walk on, will be joining us just to give us a little insight of what he's seeing with the program. So, pretty action-packed Joe You know, I, I think it's going to be a good time. But uh a rundown, and, Drew, I have to say, running the show, this is one of the few times where I'm just sort of sighing because I really want to watch the Sweet 16. <laughs> got uh, <night. laughs>
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where
2: at least my blue level is about to be playing until, like, 8.57. <laughs> so, uh, that's it, all Tonight against the Oregon Ducks right now at halftime, 43-37. Blanola leads uh, the Miami Hurricanes and uh, the uh, Buddy Heald and the Oklahoma Sooners uh, right now. Last report, 24 Buddy Heald with only five, but the Sooners are leading the SEC's last hope. The Texas A&M Aggies, two times as we all know, had a comeback for the edges last Sunday. Uh, left for dead down 12 with 31 seconds to go, they get up in overtime and winning the game in WT, so we'll the last one standing for the SEC as uh, Florida lost last night, I think can keep going, but it's going to be up against Buddy Heald and the Oklahoma Sooners.
1: So help me, I uh, I was watching that that explosion of points, let's call it that Texas A&M, but they were down 12 with 40 seconds, 45 seconds, however much it was, I was like, the heck with this. I'm going to... Uh, I had to drive home, and hmm. I get a text message from a friend of mine who's big into basketball, and he's like, uh, this game's close. like, wait, what? <laughs> so I, I managed I manage to come back as it goes to overtime. I'm just like, how did that happen? What? Yeah. So my phone's blowing up as my friends are going back and forth. But they're up. I got according to the ESPN app, which I just opened on my phone. It's twenty. Oklahoma over A and M. I don't feel real comfortable until uh, until they're up like twenty, given what we've seen A and M do. But that's the fun part of the tournament. And uh, you, th- you got your Blue Devils. You think-, think they got? Think they got?
2: Well, uh, you know, I think the Devils are going to play well tonight. I just have a feeling. I think. Uh, Brandon Ingram who may be the first pick in the draft. I think he's gonna play a strong game. I think you know Greg is gonna be key for them to continue to play well and shoot well. Um they're gonna need the Marshall Plumley to stay out of foul trouble. I think they're gonna show up and play well. Uh if they stay out of foul trouble with their short rotation, get something offensively from Matt Jones, who should do a pretty good job defensively. Uh but I would switch Ingram on uh uh, 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 a lot on their uh, best player, uh, but I will say this: uh, I, I I still think overall that Duke it's going to be a tough matchup. I know this is bounds, but just on a quick tangent, it's uh, you know Oregon's very athletic and a very good offensive basketball team, and it's going to be tough for Duke. But I do think um, you think about it. I, I think that the, uh, the, or uh, the Oregon-Duke matchup uh, it's it's a great matchup for them probably. I just have that's funny. Thing because Coach K has kind of been on edge, edge and on edge. Duke had not had a good history on West Coast playing in an NCAA tournament, and he, he basically said at the end of the day he didn't think it made, it made a dumb bit of a difference. And I think, um, honestly, that uh, I, I think the Duke are going to play well. I you know in one of my brackets I had Oregon beating Duke, and the other one might not. I just have a funny feeling they're going to play uh, their best game. And I think they're going to win this game right now. I don't know if they can beat Buddy Hills in Oklahoma, who I had coming out of this fat regional. I think Oklahoma really good basketball team. I, I think it's going to be tough uh, for Duke to get to the Final for. But if they get the Elite Eight, as I had Laura Keeley on my show today, I think it'll be one of his best coaching jobs I've ever. Uh, the, uh, the injury situation and in the short bench. When, not having a middle person for most of the season. And, and, the, and the play I was thinking about, of course, is Dylan Rook. I saw him play against Alabama. I was this Oregon team playing against Alabama, Alabama. I played them very well. If Duke plays their game, I think uh, they throw the tempo. But I try to run with Oregon completely. I think Duke can win the game, but it's going to be tough. It's going to take them their best after the season, a like when they won at North Carolina. I, I think that's what gotcha. it's going to take. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Listeners, what they're asking for.
3: Fuck yeah. us about. Oh, yeah. them, what are you talking about?
1: Da, 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 da. Yeah. So, so looking at this week week's spring practice, if you had to, if you had to distill it down, and we'll get back, we'll get into this with fish for a one five minutes. But what, what do you think? Looking at the first now, what five, five practices you know for this week and uh, one, this two practices what, ago. what's the thing that's jumped out to you the most? Looking at looking at it into the team?
2: Well, in totality, so far the uh, of course, Ross Spears Baker spent all his time at center and not left guard. I think it's telling. I think they believe that he's athletic enough and smart enough uh, to move over there and kind of get their best five on the OL on the uh, in, with first group. And the thing that's been telling is we. Uh, I think I've, I've been on on my show, uh, talking ball. I, you know, I've been on a lot of different venues and platforms and I've been consistent, Thomas. I still thought best football player and I was uh dude, number one yet again in the uh N16 recruiting class, was obviously I thought it was Jim Williams. And um it was I just think overall he's been running some bursts with the left tackle at left tackle because Cam Robinson is out with over knee injuries uh recuperating the screen they're not gonna push him Bill uh, Williams is already getting uh, first-team uh, looks, and to me, that just says it all. He's about 290 pounds right now, five, and of course, we'll talk about him with Eddie, but that young man is a freak. I think he's going to be a first-round draft pick, and I will race for him, but so far, he's been the real deal, and I think that's been the thing that I've uh, most. And kind of Charles Baldwin's been behind him, the tackle, uh, the Juco transfer, and then, at right tackle, it's been interesting because Lester Cotton. Uh, the I, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he got his red shirt. I think he should have uh, from Central Tuscaloosa. He may have played enough to to uh, be a sophomore. I'm not really sure about that yet. But Lester Cotton, no doubt about it, has elite talent from Central Tuscaloosa, and it's going to be interesting if with all this experimenting going on. If he doesn't end up at one of the tackle spots. He's another one and they could slide inside the guard at the left guard spot. But I do I think if Pierce Baker's at center, but I think you also need to watch Bradley Bozeman who's kinda of bided his time as well. That
1: that is a that, that's a lot to look at, I'll be honest, Drew. But it's, well, it's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So I I I you know, I have to admit with uh with having a busy week at school I didn't I hadn't realized that Jonah Williams had had pushed that far that fast.
2: Uh, I know that Yeah, it's surprising, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit, but I mean, but it just shows how good he is in my opinion.
1: Certainly. And
2: you know, we had I know we've had fish
1: on the program previously and he has said gone so far as to say that <clears throat> he is he thought Jonah Williams is better than Greg Little, which I mean I'm not gonna doubt Redfish with his ability to scout, but I think when he said that it certainly perked my ears up. But that's uh, I can't wait to get Fish's take on this. That's all I'm just gonna leave I'm gonna lead that in to me working on getting Fish on the program. <laughs>
2: yeah, it sounds good. I'm sure the listeners are gonna to wanna to hear his thoughts and uh and again and of course his reminiscing of Kevin Turner. Uh he he knew him uh, as good as a lot of people did or as good as anyone. Uh, He played with him, Kevin, of course, graduating in 91, uh, William Barger in 93, so uh, they were on the team together in in, uh, 89, 90, and 91, and I believe, I'll have to do this officially with with William, but I believe KT may have also redshirted during his career as well, so uh, KT, he was actually 88, 89, 90, 91, and he may have even redshirted in in uh, 87 but i gotta ask william that but uh, kt no doubt about it uh, was a champion and a great man and uh, as i tweeted he was my favorite Alabama fullback ever and uh it's there's just certain guys in doing your youth and when you root for a program and become a diehard fan that stick in your head and you always they're always a favorite and you always when you equate their number and you see it you always think of them first and for me 24 will always be kt No doubt about that. I mean, he was from Prattville, Alabama, and uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, a, as a fullback, a thousand yards rushing in his career at Alabama, uh, nearly a thousand yards receiving, and it's un, and it's unheard of now. But uh, he he was he also uh, uh, ended up with he was a, he was a guy that was a third round draft pick as a fullback, and you just don't see. That anymore, and he played eight years, and that's a long career for a fullback as well. He was an All-Pro with the Patriots and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's just gone way too soon. And and now we do have uh, on the Asian Rim Hotline with us tonight, uh, William Redfish Bardron. and William. Uh, I know this is this was not unexpected uh, this happening to KT, but Kevin Turner. But it's still when it when it when the it does finally happen because there is no cure for the ALS that when, when the final chapter is written, it's still a very, very hard thing.
4: Well, I mean, it is true, but at the same time when you, uh, you know, you see somebody that, that, you know, I, I was lucky enough to spend, uh, God, you know, 89, 90, 91, um, you know, three years, you know, of, of, you know, living across the hall from them, um, you know, going to eat every Thursday. It's, uh, a kind of a funny sidebar story about, you know, the, the man that Kevin was. Um, Thursday night during the season, um, a group of us would go eat out at, Dream, you know, the original Dreamland.
3: Right. And,
4: uh, you know, Kevin was so tight with his money. and He certainly could have afforded to, um, you know, go out there and, you know, lay down $15 for a slab of ribs. Um, right there where you make the turn to go to the original Dreamland in Tuscaloosa, there's a McDonald's. And he would make us stop um, and run through the drive-through, um, so he could go get a three dollar and fifty cent happy meal. Um, oh, and he wow. would take it into he would take the three dollar and fifty cent happy meal into Dreamland with the rest of us and sit there and eat with us. Um, you know, he, he came to school driving a. Uh, it wasn't the same color as the O.J. Simpson Ford Bronco, but it was the same you know model and body style. Um, you know, after he got his NFL money, um, you know, he didn't fly back and forth from, you know, Montgomery to, to uh, Boston when he was playing for the Patriots. He drove that Bronco back and forth. You know, he was tighter than a tick with his money. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, reach out to me today and, you know, make the comment, you know, hey, you know, you're you're getting a lot of you know, news time and stuff, being in highlights of, you know, Kevin making plays and scoring touchdowns, you know, you must really miss, you know, the days of y'all playing together. And, you know, I've I've told everybody, and I'll tell you this too, this is kind of a, you know, a story that I've sat on for almost six years now. Um, That's not what I'm going to miss the most about Kevin. Um, He reached out to me in May of 2010 um, a week after he had been diagnosed with ALS, and uh, yeah. you know, asked him if I would go have lunch with him, and the reason he had reached out to me um, was that he knew that I had already gone through the process of, you know, making bad real estate investments and having that, you know, kind of blow up in your face and all the lovely ramifications associated with it. So. I didn't even know, you know, when I went to meet him, you know, downtown for lunch, I thought that's what I was going down there to talk to him about is, you know, hey, go hire you, a good bankruptcy lawyer, and, you know, this is everything that, you know, entailed with all this stuff, and, man, I got there, and I could already tell that, you know, something was wrong with him, his hands, you know, weren't working properly, and, you know, we sat down at the table, and, you know, he told me about, you know, the diagnosis, and, you know, I could tell just, you know, how devastated he was. And, you know, he proceeded to tell me in, in the last 12 months, this was, let's say, you know, May of 2009, up until um, May of uh, 2010. Um, you know, he had been to rehab a couple of times for an addiction to Oxycontin. Um And, you know, he proceeded to tell me that the, the Oxycontin was prescribed to him by the Philadelphia Eagles doctors um you know after his career ended because that was the only pain relief and pain management he could get um but the reason his career was ended because he was diagnosed with spinal stenosis, and for people that don't know what that mm-hmm. is, that's where the spinal column narrows around all the nerves and um you know that's that's a you know an ugly thing to have in the first place um you know, so he had to go to you know a couple of rehabs in Florida. Um, you know, to kick the Oxycontin habit. Um, you know, then he, then he you know, found out that his wife was having an affair, so his marriage dissolved. Um, you know, then he found out that he had lost all his money and, and bad real estate deals. And, you know, then the, the kicker was, you know, a week before we met, um, you know, he found out that he had a terminal disease. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I showed up to meet him and have lunch that day, um, you know, the, the disease had already, you know, kind of affected his hands. His, his hands were already affected. I, and I sat there and watched him take 15 minutes to cut up a little, you know, six-ounce pork chop. And, you know, what I've tried to tell everybody today, you know, that, that have you know, kind of reached out to me and asked me, you know, my thoughts on the whole thing, you know, number one, I'm glad he's not in pain and suffering anymore, number one. Um, you know, number two, when when you, when you put all that stuff that I just told you into perspective, um, you know, anytime I have a bad day or I start feeling sorry for myself, you know, I think back to, um, you know, what he told me that day when we were having lunch, um, you know, in in a, in a, basically not even a 12 month span, an eight month span, you know, two steps in rehab, you know, you lost your wife you lost all your money, find out that you're, you know, going to die at some point in time in the near future. And, you know, I tell everybody this, you know, that's my memory that's going to always stick with me about Kevin Turner is no matter how bad things get for me on a day-to-day or a weekly basis. um, I've got that example of what true courage and true strength is. And that was really drew the thing that struck me so hard when I watched him, you know, spend 15 minutes to try and chop that pork chop up, you know, those were the same hands, um, that I saw him in the Alabama weight room one summer. Um, you know, we were maxing out on the bench press and, you know, he was peeling plates off the bar and adding plates and kind of got to going too fast and was taking a 45 pound plate off and went to put it onto the, the, the weight tree, and it slipped out of his hand, and it pinned his pinky, the 45-pound plate that he was peeling off, it pinned it against one that was already on the stack. And he basically amputated. If you look at your pinky finger, um, that last digit that you have where your nail bed stops, it chopped his pinky mm-hmm. off right there on the spot. Um, oh, you know, most wow. people, that would, have been a, that would have been a trip to DCH for, you know, stitches and surgery probably. Um, he went into the training room and wrapped it up with tape and came back into the weight room and finished his workout. Um, so that was kind of the tough thing for me, was to watch those hands not be able to work the way that they did before when I used to see him just put up, you know, unreal numbers in the weight room for a guy that was, you know, six foot one, 235 pounds. I've always told people this even before he got sick. Um, He's probably the best pure football player um, that I was ever able to share a huddle with just an unbelievable football player.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, man. I mean, he, everyone I've ever heard talk about KT, I've never heard him say anything bad about him as a person or player, but they almost stood in awe of him as a player and he just seemed to have no weakness. Uh, And that's basically what you're talking about. He was one of the. I still don't think he gets as much, you know, from the media and everything about how good, much respect about how good he was. But I know his peers uh, that played against him and, of course, his teammates understood how good he was.
4: Oh, you're talking about a guy, and this was, you know, God, 25 years ago, Drew. Um, you know, he was 6'1, 235 pounds. Um, you know, he could block like an offensive lineman. He ran a four 40. I um, mean, you know, I heard what you were saying before you brought me in about his career in the NFL. Um, you know, he was just a, a throwback player, um, you know, somebody that I wish maybe could have played football um, at the NFL back in the dick butt to Sarah, you know, in the 60s. I mean, he just was tough as nails, um, you know, was a clutch guy when he called his number. Um, you know, I've got a picture hanging up in my office in my house, Um, from the 1991 Blockbuster Bowl against Colorado, um, somebody took a picture of me um, in my stance, you know, in the background. You know, there's KT and uh, lined up at fullback and Saran Stacy, who has certainly had his own personal struggles with, you know, the the death of his wife and and three of his four children, you know, several years ago in a a DUI accident. Um, You know, it puts puts life into perspective, man, when you – you get to this age and and you start seeing this kind of stuff happen. Um, and you know, this isn't the last one that we're going to have to deal with as an Alabama family. Everybody knows about, you know, Carrie Good's diagnosis. Um, you know, I've got some guys, um, you know, I'm not going to name them that, that, you know, are closer to my age that have been diagnosed with the CTE protein in their brain that, you know, sometimes that turns into ALS, you know, sometimes they go crazy from it. That's, what a lot of medical professionals think led to, you know, Dave Durson and and, uh, Junior Mm -hmm. Seau, you know, to kill themselves. Um, You know, I think, you know, one person that I think you you can, you know, kind of talk about and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, start paying attention to is arguably maybe the greatest offensive lineman in the history of Alabama football. You know, John Hanna is battling CTE. Um, You you, you know, again, played for the New England Patriots, just like Kevin Turner. You know, his career was kind of cut short because of of, uh, neck injuries. Um, You know, after his NFL career was over with, he was making millions of dollars a year uh, with his own brokerage company up at Boston. Um, You know, he started exhibiting kind of erratic behavior, um, you know, got caught um, having an affair on his wife, His wife wiped him out in the divorce, um, moved back down here, um, you know, bounced around from high school to high school as a coach. You know, people got rid of him because of his erratic behavior and, and they couldn't, you know, coexist with him. And the last thing I heard, you know, this is a guy that's, you know, was the NFL man of the year. And, you know, a lot of people consider him the greatest NFL offensive guard to ever play um pro football and, and last I heard, you know, he was kind of living in the woods as a hermit up in North Alabama. So, um, you know, it, it's real world stuff. It's it's tough. You know, you have to kinda of get it and digest it. But you know, that's kind of the you know where we're at with all this stuff. I mean it uh you know, it strikes home, it's tough. Um and I'm sure today of of all the people out there um that are, you know, struggling with KT's passing um, I'm sure the guy that's probably having the hardest time with it today, and, and my heart goes out to him, is to carry good because he knows he's just in the infancy stages of this just ugly, nasty disease. And, you know, he's got to go down that same path that Kevin's been on for the last six years.
2: Yeah, and uh, we were honored as part of that. And I know you've been a featured speaker many times for the North Alabama Tide Fan group. Spoke for his father. And total, many to attend at that that week. Uh, but we were able to raise nearly five thousand dollars for uh, Kerry, and we were honored to do that. I believe it was forty four hundred that evening to help him. And you could already tell it was taking an effect because he couldn't stand for long periods of time because he's very tired. And he's fighting this hard and had a very heartfelt, uh, you know, speech and post about Kevin Turner today. And they never even played together, but uh, the, the bond is still very tight and. Again, you're right. It's just it's un, it's unfathomable to have to you know kind of face something like that and uh, have the courage that Kevin had and now uh, that Kerry is showing. And you also have to feel for, uh, uh, of course, you know, one of your other former teammates who I know did as much for Kevin as anyone, uh, and that's Craig Sanderson. No, absolutely. And you
4: know, going back to the Good family, because um, this this probably hit me harder. Um, you know than, than Kevin and Carrie's diagnosis did, but you know the Goode family um, lost Clyde Poochie. Oh yeah, I think that's right. In 2013, who I was very close mm-hmm. with, and um, you know had had a form of leukemia. And, you know everybody mm-hmm. thought he had beaten it, and, and uh, you know we we were watching a football game together, um, probably around 2012, and. You know, he was in remission, and, you know, we all were, you know, happy. And, you know, he just was a, a guy that <clears throat> lit up every room that he ever walked into, just had a very, you know, gregarious personality. People were drawn to him. He was the, kind of the, uh, you know, the team jokester and clown. Um, wasn't as talented as Kerry or, or, you know, Pierre or even the oldest brother, Chris, that, you know, was a all-pro in the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts, for many, many years. And then when that cancer came back, man, it was it was really tough to, uh, you know, see that happen. I know the, you know, the BAM's radio family, you know, has had to go through this with, with the dying of, of Bama Bird a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it's real-world stuff. I mean, you know, we all have a good time talking about recruiting and, you know, Nick Saban being the best coach in college football. But, you know, this stuff kind of draws in a different aspect of college football and, and, and what – Um, You know, things are like when when the lights go off and, you know, people have to, you know, coexist and survive in the real world. And, you know, it is what it is. But, um, and again, like you said, what Craig Sanderson and um, his wife Denise did for Kevin um, just goes above and beyond. I mean, that's true love and and friendship, um, you know, between two guys. You know, Craig was part of that group. You know, him and Kevin were roommates. Um, you know, Craig was part of that group of ours that went to Dreamland every Thursday night and he laid his fifteen dollars down um for that slab of ribs while Kevin was over there gnawing down on his happy meal So um it, you know, I, I think it's uh you know, the, the focus really needs to turn to um, you know, Kevin's kids. You know, I think it's great what Davo Sweeney did um, you know, for his oldest son Noel, and I certainly don't consider that a you know a charity case of him providing no one with a scholarship to Clemson um, he, he he's got some of the same qualities in him uh, that made his father great he's you know he's six foot one um, you know he'll knock your teeth out of your mouth when he hits you you um, know I know Kevin struggled early on um, you know when, when he first got diagnosed with ALS you know no one was in this I think he was coming out of the seventh grade, going into the eighth grade, and there was a period of time where Kevin wouldn't let him play football. And, uh, you know, he backed off that and ended up letting him do it and go through that Vestavia program. Um, But, you know, it's a tough day, but at the same time, um, I'm glad that, you know, my friend is is no longer in pain and he's not suffering. Um, And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I hope one day, um, you know our paths can cross uh, you know down the road one day where I can drink a beer and watch him put a dip of skull in his mouth and then play his guitar again because that's one of the things that away from football um, outside of his kids that that he really loved to do he was kind of a amateur musician you know that was one thing that he really struggled with when he lost the use of his um, mm. you know his hands if you go back and you watch the the ESPN documentary that they did on him, uh, an American man, Um, you know, as the credits are rolling at the end of that, um, you know, the song that is being sung, that's Kevin singing it. That's Kevin playing the guitar. And uh, it's kind of a, an autobiography of who he thought he was and what his life was all about. And for people out there that are Alabama fans that haven't seen that documentary, I would, I would suggest that uh, if you haven't seen it, um, you know, go out and get it tonight or tomorrow. It's it's very heartwarming and, and, and very motivational.
2: Yeah, and uh, it really is. And uh, I've I've seen the music video that was uh, attributed to to Kevin, and uh, it was a very touching situation. And I think everyone is going to miss him. But as you said, he's in a better place now. He's not in pain anymore. And then Nolan, his son, uh, I know he, he he almost walked on at Alabama, but of course he couldn't turn down. Any, opportunity to play for Dabo Sweeney, uh, his, his uh, father's a uh, former teammate at Clemson, and we wish him nothing but the best, and I'm sure he'll be wearing 24 and, and you know, keeping his dad's uh, legacy alive, and everyone's happy uh, to see that for the family, and we just feel for their loved ones and his parents. I know they're uh, Kevin's parents are, I'm they sure they're grieving right now, but again, like they said, it, uh, he's now be watching over everyone, and I think everyone uh, is just uh, relieved in a, in a way that uh, Kevin doesn't have to suffer anymore. And you're right. And I know his, he was beloved by his teammates. And the one good thing, there's been a lot of uh, videos put out today and you never, it never gets old. I can tell you that.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, I had people sending me the, you know, the video clips and stuff. I, you know, quite a few of them that I was in and um, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting to watch it. I saw a lot of different things from, you know, my teammates and, you know, guys that I lived with for four or five years. And, you know, people always asked me, you know, what it was like to be an offensive lineman for Alabama. I was like, you know, look, man, uh, when when <laughs> I was in the huddle and I looked back there and I saw Kevin Turner and Martin Houston at fullback and, you know, Saran Stacy and Derek Lassick and Sherman Williams at tailback, my job was pretty easy. It wasn't really that hard. I just had to get in somebody's way. And that one of those guys was off for the races.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kevin, uh, I was watching uh, some of the 91 iron bowl highlights today and that play you made on the, one of the, we really the biggest offensive play of the game to set up the only touchdown, the, the, the 68 yard catch and run on the screen pass. You just don't see fullbacks run like Kevin did. And, people forget you know kind of again how good he was martin houston was a great fullback too but just the all-around excellence of kevin turner and and again being a third round draft pick and you know 71st overall in the draft by the uh by the new england patriots and then be doing what he did with the philadelphia eagles it's just he had a great career he got the most out of his ability and he was a first class human being too and that's the the biggest thing and uh again, he will never be forgotten and uh and it and it's been a tough week too, uh, William, because also of the of the loss of the longtime trainer, Sang Lida, who I know meant a lot to so many people as well in the Alabama family.
4: Yeah, it has. And you know, um you're you're not quite as old as I am. You know, I'm forty five years old and um you know, I've had, you know, former teammates of mine that have, you know, fallen prey to addiction and, you know, have overdosed and died. You know, you've got the ALS stuff. You know, I've got some people that are really close to me, like I touched on before, that have, um, you know, been diagnosed with the CTE protein in their brain. And, um, you know, I was actually, uh, you know, did an interview with an ESPN station um, out of Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and the host of the show asked me if I had it to do all over again, looking at what's happened to the people around me. Um, you know, would I do it? And I was like, yeah, man, I, I, I'd do it all over again in a minute. Now, if I had to do it all over again with the way, and you know, I, I talked about this with your buddy Ryan Fowler last week on, on uh, the, you know, the Tuscaloosa ESPN affiliate. I don't know if I would be so willing to do it um, with the way they're trying to pump the brakes and put all the, restrictions on head-to-head, you know, contact and, you know, that kind of stuff, because that's why I played football. You know, getting mm-hmm. to ear hole somebody, uh, you know, get, getting to catch somebody when I was in high school and playing linebacker tiptoeing down the sideline and, you know, you know, hitting them with a snot bubble on the sideline and sending them into the Gatorade toolers. That's why I played football. Um, and that's kind of why I told you earlier about, you know, Kevin – you know, maybe missed it by a generation or two, and not getting to play with the Dick Buckuses of the world back in the '60s. That's that's the football that you know we all know and love. Uh, but you know, going back today, when you know people were sending me all those video clips um, of of the the years with Kev, and uh, like you said, um, you know that that screen pass that he caught um, against Auburn in '91. I think you get to see his, his four or five speed um, you know, on display and that thing. And that was a game changing play. And I know that meant so much to Kevin. Um because in the eighty nine Auburn game, the first Iron Bowl that was actually played in Auburn, um, you know, Kevin fumbled the ball. Um yeah. you know on a drive on a drive would have you know, tied the game up or maybe even have won it, and he was haunted by that. Um, and, and I can remember Drew. This this name, another name. You know, here's another guy that's, you know, paid a pretty heavy price for, um, you know, playing for a father that was his high school coach. Um, you know, being a guy that always led with his head at Alabama, he was an All SEC player. Um, I think he lasted in the NFL for two years. But you know, we used to sit there and and you know when we would get water breaks. Um, you know, watching Kevin Turner and John Sullen square up in the inside oh, wow. drill, um, you know, back during the, the 90, you know, the ninety ninety one era of the Gene Stallings, um, you know, time at Alabama. I mean, it, it sounded like a 12-gauge shotgun going off, when those two guys would square up. And, you know, John has, uh, you know, struggled with mental illness, um, you know, ever since his, uh, you know, NFL career ended and, you know, he's another guy that's really struggled with real life since his time at Alabama and the NFL's been over with. But, man, you know, back in the day when those two guys would square up, in fact, I can remember, uh, you know, Saran Stacy just kind of like excusing himself from the drill. He's like, you know, Coach, this ain't what I signed up for. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to run the ball. Now, I don't want to be involved in this stuff. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, and, and uh, you know, I, I, it's kind of like, you know, what you guys went through a couple weeks ago with Bama Bird, you know, passing, um, which, you know, I know he had to deal with a very ugly, um, you know, cancer prognosis. You know, I never knew Bama Bird. Um, you know, I was on his show a couple of times and, and, you know, just you know had some brief encounters with him. But, you know, that, that's what I guess as you get older, as we all get a little bit longer in the teeth, um, you know, the people that you touch every day or on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, you know, that's what leaves a lasting impression. Um and you just have to enjoy that time while it's allowed to you and, and you know, you never know when the plug's gonna be pulled on any of that stuff. So but we hey, we we've talked about doom and gloom for long enough, man. Let's shift uh let's shift the focus to spring
2: practice. Absolutely. And i will going to go ahead and let Thomas chime in with uh, some of his questions about spring ball. We talked about it a little bit before you came on, William, and uh, especially uh, with your specialty, the offensive line, there's been some uh, experimenting going on. And uh, we, I know uh, Thomas was uh, had some things he wanted to touch base with you on. Uh, absolutely, Fish. Uh, I, 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 like I told Drew before you came on, I have been so busy with
1: school, I haven't had a chance to really keep an eye on spring practice. But uh, how – I know before the uh, – during this past recruiting cycle, you were very high on Jonah Williams. What do you think of that man's – that young man's progress through the first week of spring practice? He's uh, he's making waves. What do you think about that?
4: Uh, Thomas, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, some, some people thought I was crazy. Um, you know, during the recruiting process, when I said that he was one of the, you know, top ten best high school offensive line prospects that I've come across, um, you know, when I first came across him, um, you know, he was a 275 pound, six foot five left tackle out in California, um, had tight end speed. Um I've got film of him running a four eight, five forty at you know, two hundred and seventy five pounds. He's strong as an ox. You know, he's got the one thing that you know, the one intangible that you can never coach um at the offensive line position and that's a great feat. Um my my hope for him was 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 that you know, he would come in, um, you know, have the opportunity to spend a year Um, you know, behind Cam Robinson at left tackle because he's just, you know, he's more left tackle than right tackle. He just doesn't have enough lead in his ass, in my opinion, to be a right tackle in Alabama's scheme. He could go do it somewhere else that runs a spread offense. Um, But I, I just thought the perfect, you know, career path for him would be come to Alabama Um, you know, get garbage, mop-up duty time behind Cam Robinson at left tackle in 2016 um, without the pressure of being a, you know, true freshman starter. And, uh, you know, I still think that's probably going to be the the path that he takes. But, you know, when you're an offensive line coach, um, you know, your job is to put the best five guys on the field. Um, You know, I'm hoping that, you know, Lester Cotton or Corrin and Curvin and, or maybe even Charles Baldwin can nail down that right tackle spot. Um, so maybe we can avoid Brent Key or Mario Cristobal being, uh, you know, tempted into putting Jonah Williams over there at the right tackle spot in an effort to get the five best guys on the field. But make, make no mistake, you know, this guy is in the same classroom with Andre Smith, Cam Robinson, and even Chris Samuels. He is a Potential three-and-done first-round draft pick. He's got that kind of ability. Um, You saw the strength numbers come out where he's already tested out as being one of the strongest guys on the team. Uh, But I do feel like he's more Chris Samuels versus Andre Smith and and Cameron Robinson. He just doesn't have that, uh, you know, 325-pound bulk behind him. Uh, But can't say enough. Good things about him as a football player, um, you know. I took a lot of heat um, from Alabama fans, you know, late in the recruiting process last year when when everybody was hoping that Greg Little, um, who was the number one offensive tackle prospect in the country last year, which I don't agree with. I thought Jonah Williams was the number one offensive tackle prospect. But the reason I didn't want Greg Little to come to Alabama was because I never thought he would beat out Jonah Williams. And uh, because of that, it allowed Alabama to sign a great right tackle prospect late in the process last year in Scott Lashley. Um, I, I felt like if Greg Little had come to Alabama along with Jonah Williams, it would have probably have pushed Austin Troxel, uh, you know Drew's buddy up there from uh, Madison Academy to Auburn. Um, It just would have overstacked the offensive tackle depth chart to the point where it would have cost them prospects down the road. So I'm tickled to death with it. Um, I can't wait to see him uh, in a couple of weeks in a scrimmage situation where I can see what he does with a little bit of pressure on him. But make no mistake, you have the beginnings of greatness, Um, you know, Cam Robinson is gone after this year. He'll be a top-five draft pick. But you've got another guy, maybe not with the same body type or the same characteristics. You've got another uh, three-and-done left tackle prospect already on campus in uh, the last couple of weeks of March 2016 in Jonah Williams.
1: Well, that's about, that's about as high a praise you can get. And, and you know, we're talking about greatness and bringing in you know, replacing greatness such as it were and the other spot, you know, we we touched on it briefly, but center, uh, Ron Pierce Baker. I, I have to admit, looking at it from the outside, I thought JC Hasnauer would be that guy. Can, can you can you speak on the uh what the kind of the, the group I don't want to say group think, that's not fair. Some of the the thought process behind that and what's your what's your impression of Pierce Baker at center? Yeah,
4: I mean I, I think number one, um That is, you know, taking a guy that that did a pretty good job as a true freshman, I mean, excuse me, as a redshirt freshman last year um, as the starting left guard. But if you start looking at the film and, and you start saying, you know, hey, this is what this guy's good at, this is what he struggles with, he is a lot more like Ryan Kelly and Barrett Jones from the standpoint of he's more of an athlete playing offensive line. Um, than, say, a road grader slash mauler. Um, so, you know, once you identify that, obviously he's got a high football IQ, um, and certainly there's nothing wrong with Brent Key and Mario Cristobal wanting to um, continue the, the legacy that Ryan Kelly left at center for the last three years. Um, and I think that's who he compares to more um than, say, a Chance Wormack or maybe even a DJ or You know, he's not somebody that you're going to line up across from, you know, a 330-pound nose guard or a, a three-technique defensive tackle and say, hey, Ross, you know, knock this guy five yards off the ball. Um, that's just not what he's good at. But what he is good at is he's athletic, very fluid. He's, he's an athlete playing, you know, offensive line, um, which is what Ryan Kelly was. So, you know, he's a – Um, You know, he's a sophomore. Um, He's got a lot of football in front of him. Um, He learned a lot. He got to see what Ryan Kelly brought to the practice field every day from, you know, recognizing fronts, from putting the offensive line in in, in the right position with the calls. And, uh, you know, I think that's what they're looking for. Um, I don't think this is so much a spring practice experiment. I, I expect this to work out long term. And the byproduct of moving him from left guard to center, you know, if it all works out. And and, and you know, Thomas, I was like you. I, I kinda thought um, you know, either Ross I mean uh JC Hassenauer or maybe even a Bradley Bozeman um would be next up after Ryan Kelly at center. Uh but what what this has done is it's allowed, you know, a guy, the second strongest player on the team and Bradley Bozeman, who's not quite the fluid athlete. But if he gets his hands on you, he is a road grader and a mauler. Um, you know, to come in and get reps, first team left guard. Um, you know, you've got two guys over there on the right side of the offensive line and Alphonse Taylor and Lester Cotton at right tackle um, that are road graders and maulers themselves. And, and, you know, again, it's it's way too early. Um, you know, this time last year, we all thought Bradley Bozeman was going to be the starter at right guard. I, I thought he was going to be the starter after the, the first scrimmage in August last year. Uh, but you know, Alphonse Taylor worked himself in there and, and kept that position all year long last year. So, I don't expect this to be the, the beginning or the end of of seeing experimentation and maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, checkers chess piece movements along the offensive line. You know, that's the number one thing that offensive line coaches get paid for is finding the five best guys, the, the the best five combination to put out there on the field. I think that's what you're seeing Brent Key and Mario Cristobal doing right now.
2: William, I just uh, you had you had, had this information, you know, uh first and I remember you uh, broaching it as far as defensively But uh, I think everyone's super excited to seeing seeing it come to fruition that looks like Rashawn Evans is going to move to inside linebacker. And we all know Jeremy Pruitt likes to move guys around. And uh, we've only seen, you know, just snippets. But it's so uh, just enticing to watch Rashawn Evans play because he plays with such a high motor and such high effort. But the possibilities seem endless with him playing next to Reuben Foster, who – has really come a long way and seems to be taking a leadership role with this defense and I think could be headed for a monster senior year himself.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, you saw a little bit of the, you know, the Jeremy Pruitt influence in that national championship game against Clemson. Um, you know, that's that's kind of been one of his trademarks, um, you know, since he got away from Kirby and Nick and out on his own as a defensive coordinator at Florida State and Georgia. Um, you know, was taking guys that were athletes. Um, You can go back and look at what he did with, you know, a guy named Leonard Floyd the last two years at Georgia. um, You know, two plays in a row. You'd see him, you know, you'd see him lined up at inside linebacker on third and long situations. You'd see him coming off the edge, rushing the passer. But, you know, I I think this is a pretty – Basic fundamental football 101 situation that you're seeing with Rashawn Evans. Um, You know, you've got some proven commodities up there, Um, you know, in Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson, um, you know, as edge rushers. And I'm not saying that that Rashawn's not as good as them, but, you know, as a coach, how do you take reps away from, you know, two guys that are proven like that? And uh, maybe have more of the body type. You know, Ryan's probably close to 270 now. Uh, you know, Tim's probably pushing 260. You know, there are more three-down players at that Jack and Sam than Rashawn is. Um, again, um, this isn't me dinging, you know, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, but I don't understand why, you know, it's taken two years of Rashawn Evans' career or maybe even the return of Jeremy Pruitt for For them to look at ways of getting a guy um you know drew like you touched on that is such a high motor you know high effort guy i mean i can't even I can cite the arkansas game game versus Clemson, where Rashawn Evans made an attempt to rush the passer um, was mm-hmm. blocked through was blocked to the ground on the opposite side of where the quarterback took off from in the pocket. He got up. And on numerous occasions tracked him down because he does have such a short short, burst quickness, um, you know, in a five- to seven-yard range. Uh, you know, tracked him down and sacked him for a loss or a one- or a two-yard gain. Um, you know, he, he's bigger now um, than C.J. Mosley was until his senior year, who, who was very successful, um, you know, playing that inside linebacker spot. Um, so I'm excited about it. Um, you know, you, you could see, uh, you know, if this experiment works out, you know, you could see a um, Reuben Foster Rashawn Sean Evans linebacker tandem at the inside spot versus, you know, teams that run spread offenses. Um, and, and then, again, you you, know, you might see a Reuben Foster, Sean Dion Hamilton combo, you know, versus the LSUs and the Arkansas of the world that run you know, heavy-handed pro-style offenses, you know, they're trying to, you know, pound the ball between the tackles. It's a good problem to have.
2: And then I know another young player that's caught a lot of eyes thus far. we, we It's going to be very tough for him to get a lot of meaningful snaps because, as you talked about, you have Ryan Anderson, you have Tim Williams. Uh, you even have young players like the Christian Millers who, uh, who are just now starting to scratch the surface. Uh, you'll have Rashawn. Uh, playing some outside as well. There's a lot of good young players uh, at outside linebacker. But what about uh, the the impression so far of Anthony Jennings? And, uh, you know, I was very high on him, as were you. I think he can definitely rush the passer. I think he will end up following in John Allen's footsteps and end up with his hand in the dirt. But thus far, he's been very impressive coming off, of course, the back surgery uh, that forced the red shirt.
4: Yeah, I mean, that was probably – um, the the best news that I've seen, you know, coming out of the off season in the spring practice is seeing that, you know, Anthony Jennings is, is close enough to two hundred and seventy pounds to say he's two hundred and seventy pounds. You know, he earned his offer um to Alabama based on what he did as a pass rusher in summer in the summer camp before his senior year. Um he's got great length, long arms. You know, I, I think the you know, the body type that you can compare him to is, is, is Tim Williams. I think that's a fair comparison. Um, you know, he's he's 270 now. Um, uh, and that's just with one year in the program, you know, we talked about the limitations that he had last year with the back surgery. Um, but you know, I think that's the, the big key, um, not so much for this year, but when you start looking at the evaluations that have to be made and, and, you know, you look at, you know, John Allen going pro after this year. Um, you know, there's even a scenario where, you know, Deshaun Hand might could have 10 sacks and decide to test the pro waters after this year. He's, he's draft eligible. Um, but you've you got to have that next wave of guys ready to go. And, and I think out of the, that group of young guys with, you know, Anthony already being on campus, and, you know, there's two guys in this, two thousand and sixteen recruiting class that I think kind of fall in right behind it. You know, they need an Anthony Kennings to, you know, get to two seventy five, two eighty. You know, they need Terrell Hall to get to two seventy five, two eighty. They need Quinn Williams to get to two seventy five, two eighty. You know, if that happens, then that takes a lot of pressure off of, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban and Bo Davis to go out and sign you know, four or five legit, five technique defensive ends in this recruiting class, which is very difficult to do. Um, So that next wave progression, you know, behind a a Jonathan Allen, a Dalvin Tomlinson, a a Deshaun Hand, you you can kind of see it happening. You just have to hope that they can keep progressing, that, you know, Scott Cochran, you know, can work his magic and, and add, you know, good quality weight without sacrificing athleticism. Um, which I think you kind of saw happen a little bit a couple of years ago with guys like, you know, Jeffrey Pagan and, and, and uh, you know, Ed Stinson. Um, You know, they got a little bit big and, and they lost their change of direction, um, you know, quickness a little bit. So, you know, you, you want to see that thing take place on the, the perimeter with those five Texas ends. And if you want to segue onto the inside, um, you know, the conversation starts and stops with Deron Payne. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, can can get out there and play on the perimeter just like Deron Jer- uh, Reed and uh, A'shaun Robinson did. But before he can do that, you know, somebody like Josh Frazier and O.J. Smith or maybe even a Kendall Jones has to come in and be able to prove that they can take over that zero technique nose guard role. Um, that will allow Deron Payne to get out there and maybe um, not on the same level of a Marcel Darius, but he certainly falls into that same category. He's a lot better athlete than, say, a Josh Chapman or a Terrence Cody zero-technique nose guard.
1: You know, and Fish, looking at the other side of the ball, uh, you you see this question a lot. I know that I've covered it on – both BAM's radio and Two Deep Zone, but I'm, I'm going to ask you, what, what's the running back depth look like? I feel like a lot of Bama fans are kind of the sky is falling since there's no returning running back.
4: Uh, you know, I think that's a bit of a, a panic button, Thomas. Um, you know, you've got a guy coming back, um, even though I know that the injury history is there with Bo Scarborough. Um, a lot of people you know, inside the Alabama program, think that, um, you know, Bo Scarborough is, if he can stay healthy, you know, could potentially be as good, if not better, than Derrick Henry was. Um, You know, you've got Damian Harris, who I think unfairly a lot of Alabama fans have kind of already jumped ship on him because he didn't show up, even though he had that five-star billing coming in this year. You know he didn't produce like Mark Ingram did as a true freshman, or a Trent Richardson did as a true freshman, or a T.J. Yeldon did as a true freshman. Um, but you know what I saw out of him last year was a guy that probably wasn't ready to go right out of the gate, um, you know, in the SEC. Uh, but when you look at what he's done in the off season, um, you know, ran a four-four flat. I mean, a four-point-four-zero flat forty. Um, he, he's you know tested out at an elite level in the weight room. Um, well, let, let's wait and see what Damian Harris can do with quality reps behind the first team offensive line um, before people start jumping ship on him. And you know now that B.J. Emmons is qualified, um, you know you've got the Jacobs kid from Oklahoma who I think maybe you know turn into the the Drake role. Um, It's a scat back. It's a guy that you split out the slot and turn into a slot wide receiver. You know, as far as the 2016 season goes, I think Alabama has, um, you know, two returning guys in both Scarborough and Damian Harris, you know, two incoming freshmen that gives you four, you know, at least on paper elite running backs. You know, there's not another school in the country that has any better or worse depth than that. It's, Um, it's plenty good enough, I think, for this team to be successful. Um, You know, I think, you know, at least for me, um, it's the same song, second, third, or fourth verse for the 2016 Alabama football team. They just have to find a quarterback that can give them Blake Sims, Jacob Coker-level quarterback play, and they're going to be right in the mix for the SEC championship and a college football playoff appearance.
2: Well, I completely agree, William. I think they have the ingredients there. It's just about coaching and player development, and we know that that is going to take place with Nick Saban at the helm. But, man, we, uh, we, we've we kept you for 45 minutes. We, we truly appreciate it. Always on BAM's radio, great stuff. And uh, really, of course, especially tonight, with the memories of Kevin Turner, your teammate and friend, and uh, we know he meant so much to you and your teammates, and, I did want to clear one thing up. Did KT Redshirt? Did he? Was he eighty-seven to ninety-one?
4: You know, he actually was recruited and signed. Hang on a second. I'll let you know real quick. You know, he was recruited and signed. I think in uh, Ray Perkins' last class. Yeah, I want yeah, I think to he was.
2: His.
4: Hang on a second. I-
2: um, I thought he was 87 to 91. I thought he red-shirted and then played his four years. Uh, with, yeah, uh, you, and then you know, you're probably
4: right, because what's scary is when, when, when Kevin came out of high school, if memory serves me right, I want to mm-hmm. say he was like 6'1", 190 um, mm-hmm. when he came out of Bravo. Um So he probably did, you know, looking back on it now without having the information in front of me, he probably did red-shirt um, in 87, I think 88 mm-hmm. was probably his red shirt freshman year. 89, we've been sophomore. 90, mm-hmm. junior. Uh, 91, senior. Um, I, I just totally forgot about this because um, he was uh, playing for uh, Bill Parcells with the New England Patriots. Yeah. And I never will forget this. He showed up. Um, for the 92 national championship game um, in in the Sugar Dome. And, uh, you know, when all the celebrations was going on, I I, I didn't even know he was there, um, you know, until I saw him. And uh, I can remember walking up to him, you know, when everybody was carrying Coach Stallings to midfield and celebrating. And, uh, you know, he gave me a big hug and said, man, congratulations. And I said, you know what? If they don't give you one of these rings, there's no justice because you don't, you deserve one just as much as we do.
2: Yeah, that's a great story. And he definitely going 11-1 and in 91. And I had the T-shirt to remember it. Uh, he definitely will help lay the foundation uh, for you guys reaching the pinnacle of college football in that year. Well, William, we always appreciate it, man. Great stuff on BAM's radio tonight. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Thank you, sir, and have a good night.
4: Hey guys, I'm Jordan, as usual. God, good night.
2: Thank you. That's William Redfish Barger, everyone. And we're going to take our five-minute sabbatical now here on BAMS Radio, and uh, we should be joined by Kerry Clark shortly. But coming up, the next guest will be Paige Hawkman at about eight fifteen, talking some Bama baseball. Stay with us.
3: Down Backwoods, Tennessee Byway
5: One arm
3: on the wheel Holding my lover with the other A sweet, soft, southern thrill Worked hard all week Got a little jingle On a Tennessee Saturday night couldn't feel better. I'm together with my Dixie Land tonight. Spend my dollar park in a holler need the mountain moonlight. Hold a tight make a little oven, a little turn of oven on a make some big sun It's my life. Oh so right my next year. Watching on clover, red tailed hawk sitting on a limb, chubby old brown hawk croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind, homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl on a Tennessee Saturday night, lucky at the seven. Living in heaven With my land delight Spend my dollars Park make a little loving, a little turn of on a Mason Dixon night. It's my life, oh so right, my dear.
1: Oops, oh, sorry, my bad. Doing too much at once, and we're back with Bam's Radio. My phone is obviously going nuts, but uh, we are joined by Kerry Clark. Kerry, can you hear me? You got me. I got you. How how, how you doing this the evening?
5: Doing pretty good, man. Got church.
1: Sounds like fun. <laughs> Drew, Drew, we we took our we broke, and you happened to come in at the perfect time. You have excellent.
2: Yeah, you, I'm, you have, I'm I'm back. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Great. Right,
1: great. We're looking for uh, Paige to uh, in about seven minutes, Kerry. You missed uh, 45 minutes with Fish that he told us a bunch of really interesting stories about KT and then his impressions of uh, particularly the offensive line. You know, Jonah. You know, talking about how Jonah Williams has made a surge and what he envisions for that young man. It's it's been a good 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 time, but we're glad That's you're with us tonight.
5: I will definitely listen to that tomorrow while standing in line to get my tag.
2: Ah, that, that time of the year, huh?
5: It is for the seas. Yes, sir. <laughs> gotcha.
2: But, uh, it was a good conversation. Uh, had a lot of, uh, a very interesting insight into KT, of course, who he was very close with, lived across the hall from, uh, when, uh, Kevin room with Craig Sanderson and, uh, he knew KT very, very well, and, and uh, just, it just proves, and uh, further reiterates, Kerry, what a great man and great athlete and just great all-around person uh, Kevin Turner was.
5: Oh, you know, uh, he was one of my favorites. Um, I'll never forget that long, I think it was 69-yard screen pass he caught against Auburn in 91, and a lot of people posted that video today, and uh that play led up to the uh, touchdown, the only touchdown of the game, and the 91 Iron Bowl, which was scored uh, either the next play or a play later by David Palmer. And the funny thing about those two plays, Drew, something I never really paid attention to until now, our good friend, number 62, William Redfish Barger, on both those plays, including Kevin's long touchdown, uh, long screened his up touchdown. William had some good blocks on those plays, man. He was a sophomore at the time, a rich church sophomore, and as I jokingly told him on Facebook today, I'm sure uh, offensive line coach at the time, Jimmy Fuller, uh, smoked a pack of cigarettes that night in honor of the fish.
2: And as he said, they were Newports.
5: Newports, that's right. I think but, Coach uh, Bryant smoked Camel State. That's
2: <laughs> but, uh, and you know, and William, uh, he did, uh, he, he did uh, have some big time moments with KT, and uh, there's been several videos released. He seems to be right in the middle of a uh, several of them with uh, Kevin Turner. And as he said, he's got a picture in his office of the Blockbuster Bowl with William lined up at uh, right guard and and, uh, KT in the backfield with him. And, uh, you know, someone sent it to him. And, you know, Kevin meant a lot to him, meant a lot to all his teammates. And as I said in the first hour, Kerry, uh, I still don't think the media really truly understands how good Kevin Turner was. But I'll tell you this, and I love Martin Houston to death, Taron Lance. There's there's been a lot of good fullbacks at Alabama. Uh you know, they uh we they, they and, uh I know uh you could have you get Travis McCall one, of course. Uh there's been uh, Leron McLean. There's been so many good ones, but he's by far my favorite and uh there's just not many you see uh, had a 1000 yards rushing in their career, nearly a 1000 receiving and as Williams said could block like an offensive lineman. Uh just he was an old school football player. He could do everything well. And uh, he just was one of these guys. A third-round pick is a fullback, and you just don't see that anymore.
5: Well, you know what? They, I was going to say, I'm glad you said that. And he that, ran a 4 5 N- too. And the NFL you knew how good he was. Uh, he was the classic NFL West Coast pro-style fullback. He could block. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. He was a great person. Uh, I've, I've got a friend, a personal friend, uh, she posts on, on TI and on her website is Lady in Red, a crazy name the South of Atlanta. And she went to Prattville with Kevin. I know she's grieving today. I know she is. Uh, she does that website, ladyinred.net, that updates all the Bama Pro people. But Kevin was a fun guy to follow in Alabama and a fun guy to follow in the pros. He always represented the tie well. And um, i, I got to tell you another story, Drew. Uh, I didn't witness this personally, but... A friend of mine uh, here in the Birmingham area uh, that I went to Alabama with, a a guy named Chris Quinton, uh, he (laughs) officiates a lot of basketball around Birmingham. He does some JV games, some girls varsity games, some YMCA games. He had the occasion over the years, uh, the past few years, even after Kevin was stricken, he had the occasion to officiate some basketball games that Kevin's kids played in uh, around the Vestavia area. And he had a a kind of tradition, Chris, my friend, did, he would go up to Kevin after like at halftime, and say, Kevin, did you ever see uh, such a well-fitted He said Kevin would spend about three minutes telling him all the travels and fouls and all that he missed. It was kind of a running joke to him. But Kevin was real proud of his kids and his wife and his family. And, uh, he, he was ever the competitor. And I told Drew and Thomas that over the years, since it got first to, you know, diagnosed way back with the original Lou Gehrig, I know a lot of people have fought this disease valiantly, but I, I would challenge you to show me somebody who's fought it more valiantly than Kevin Turner fought it and fought it to the end and showed so much guts. And there's another guy doing that right now, as you all well know, and we need to keep on praying. I'm sure this guy mentioned first hour, but our, our thoughts and prayers need to continue to go out for Kerry Good because he's just as much the warrior as Kevin Turner, and he's fighting it like a cat too.
2: Yeah, we did mention Gary uh, and uh, the Facebook post uh, that he put up, and also that he and Kevin Turner knew each other well and had uh, partnered up to battle this disease. And we also mentioned the, the fundraiser at Greenbrier where we we were able to raise about forty four hundred dollars for Kerry uh, Good and uh, donate to his foundation. And we were honored to do that and play a small part in it. and And we're all praying for Kerry as well. and it's just tough. You know, that we know he's facing the same diagnosis and right now there's no cure. And, uh, we know Kevin Turner fought it to the very end and, uh, was a, was a warrior and says, I said on Twitter so valiantly and proudly fought. And, uh, and it's just an honor that now his son's going to get to carry on his name at Clemson. Uh, we'll all be uh, silently rooting for him or maybe not even silently, uh, cause Dabo is of course an Alabama graduate as well. And, and as William so eloqu- eloquently said, uh, Dabo didn't do that out of charity. He did that because, you know, Nolan is a, a chip off the old block of his father and will likely overachieve in his career and would have walked on at Alabama if uh, Clemson hadn't offered the scholarship probably, but he earned the scholarship offer, and you got to be happy for him and their family and just be praying and thinking about them because, of course, everyone knew this was inevitable, but it's still such a hard thing uh, when it happens.
5: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, y'all probably touched on this in the first hour, but we lost another member of the Alabama family this weekend, Sang Lada, who yes. was a longtime trainer for the football and basketball program. And we're going to have a very, very brief phone call tonight about 5-Till uh, from Colin McGuire, Big C, uh, who worked under Sang at Alabama. He wants to give some condolences to the family. but Absolutely. Uh, we're just, we, I, I told him we didn't have much time, but he, it really meant a lot to him to be able to do it. So about 5-Till – He's going to call in, so be watching for Big C Thomas. So I was going to talk about his Sang Lada, but, you know, a great friend of his show, other than Big C, is Kurt McNair, and, and Kurt was very close to Sang Lida. Uh, Kurt's lost a lot of his buddies these last couple of years between Sang and Mal Moore and, and, and a few others, uh, and he's been a trooper through the whole thing. You know, one thing Kurt McNair taught me and Mitch Dobbs and, and a bunch of other people is when, it, when at all possible you know, always try to make the funeral. And uh, right. I know Kirk's been going to a lot of funerals these last couple of years, man. I mean, way back to when, I know y'all remember when Jay Leslie passed. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just been a string, and he's been a warrior through it. And, uh, I mean, my thoughts and prayers go out to all of Sang's friends and all of Kevin's friends, but especially, you know, people like we who knew him personally, people like Kirk who knew Sang and, and Big C who knew Sang personally. Uh, it's just been a tough couple of days for the for the Bama family, but the good news is uh, we know where they are, and uh, we know that we will one day see them again. That's that's the bottom line right there.
2: Well, it is, and uh, of course Kirk was close to so many of them in the athletic department because he played an integral role himself. And Kirk's a uh, class act, and uh, you know I know he's got to be uh, hurting. And he was he, on his Facebook pages where I first saw that saying had passed and. That's not surprising because Kirk, again, as you said, was very close to him, very close to Mal, and Sang Lida was a, an instant to like Jack Rutledge, like Jim Goosetree, so many of those people. in uh, the, the the support staff were there for so long, dude Hennessy, and were so beloved by the players, and uh, you, you feel for all of them, absolutely. Yep,
5: yep, yep. It's been a tough week. But, again, you know, it, it's, uh, it's interesting that, that we lost those two guys uh, the week of Easter, because Easter exists to remind us that uh, because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we all will be able to go to heaven one day, join Him, and, and join our loved ones. And uh, you know, it's just you know you hate to see anybody die, but you know what? If, if when and if I have to die, I'd like it to be Easter week too. I think that'd be so cool. It just uh, it just you know <laughs> it brings out the whole meaning of it. I mean, tomorrow we celebrate Good Friday which is the death of our Lord and Savior. But the main thing is Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. And the day is coming when these people, like Kirk and, and William and Big C and the others, and it's not even to mention the Stabler family and all his fans and friends, all those people are going to have a great reunion up in heaven. Uh, and, and it's going to be something to see. Uh, it really is. And so, yeah. But I'm glad y'all were able to get Fish uh, for the uh, most of the first hour. I will go back and listen to that. He's always great. And I'm also thrilled that y'all have convinced him to be a bigger part of BAM's radio because the bottom line is he's probably the favorite guest. And so uh, we might as well make him a regular. I think that was a great decision.
2: Yeah, we're looking forward to that. And uh, I know he's going to be a big-time contributor to the future of BAM's radio and keeping this uh, flame going in and, and Bird's honor because we wouldn't be here. And, of course, Liam mentioned Bama Bird and uh, had said, you know, there's just been a lot of uh, – heartache unfortunately the last several weeks uh, in the Alabama family but as you eloquently said uh, Kerry we're all going to see him again and uh, we just uh, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone and you just can't take life for granted because you just you just never know uh, what 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 might happen so and I know we're going to be talking to Paige Hockman here in a few minutes and being able to talk about uh, some uh, happier times like of course baseball and uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, just got a huge road win, or road series win to open SEC play this past weekend in red stick for the first time since the college World Series trip, the first one in 96 under Jim Wells. But, of course, they gave some of it back uh, slightly uh, yesterday with I felt like, or excuse me, Tuesday night, I should say, with a lackluster performance uh, against UAB. But now they have a chance to kind of atone for – some things uh, with their first SEC home series in the Joe against the Tennessee Vols, a team uh, Alabama loves to beat in any sport.
5: We do, and nobody loves to beat them more than Paige Hockman, and she is joining us now on the Asian Rim Hotline, and boy, I had a pretty good lunch today at, at uh, Asian Rim, Paige. Welcome to Bows Radio. Hey,
6: thank you, Carrie. What'd you have
5: today? Okay, I had the calamari appetizer. And then I had the shrimp po' boy sandwich, and uh, this is not fried shrimp. This is large, plump, juicy grilled shrimp uh, with the Asian Rim yum yum sauce. And I even had a little bit of leftover remoulade from my calamari to dipping in. So I was, uh, I tell you, I went back to work full, fat, and happy, as I always do. And the service is always great. It's just, uh, I tell you what, if y'all haven't visited Asian Rim off of uh, US 280 in the Colonnade Shopping Center in Birmingham. Y'all are missing out. It is an awesome place to
6: eat, and I love it. Oh, thank you, Carrie. That makes my heart sing. Uh, We definitely try to to make everybody happy and try to be consistent. And the thing I like about you going in there to eat is that you always try something different so you can talk about all the different um, selections that we have. You know, a lot of people, I think, um, are under the impression that we're just um, sushi or you know just asian food and we actually do quite uh, a variety of food there from you know burger sliders to as you were saying uh the shrimp po' boy um you know you can get chicken fingers there if you really you know want those but anyway you know we have a an award-winning asian menu as well with our thai and our sushi and some other pan asian entrees and i'm just so glad that you uh Enjoy dining with us. And thank you so much for your kind words.
5: And thank you for sponsoring the Asian Rim Hotline. And Paige, let's turn the tables now a little bit uh, and get into the world of Alabama baseball. Things started out so awesome. They started out so awesome last Saturday with a sweep in Baton Rouge and the first series win, as Drew pointed out a minute ago, since 1996 in Baton Rouge, that was gigantic. The Sunday game got away from us a little bit, probably, in my opinion, because of the injury to Thomas Burroughs and then I wasn't there the other night. I usually try to make it to Regent's Field. I didn't make it this week. I don't know what in the heck happened to UAB. What team showed up that night?
6: Um, well, you know, it's funny. I was I was talking to um, an ESPN number cruncher Friday, uh, going down to Baton Rouge. We were having a phone conversation. Uh, we were both just talking, and he's a big Alabama fan, and we were talking about. Um, how, you know, we really needed to get out of LSU with one game. We just did not need to let LSU sweep us. And um, you know, the funny part about that was, on Sunday night, we talked again and, you know, I was just kind of complaining about not being able to finish the last two innings of the game on Sunday. And I said, you know, Friday when I was coming down here, I never dreamed that Sunday night I would be complaining about not sweeping LSU three games at LSU. I never would have dreamed that that would have been a conversation that I would have had, Um, you know, not not anything against our boys at all and their talent level. I mean, they've got the talent to do it, but just going to LSU and being able to sweep LSU at home is just virtually unheard of. Um, But to me, I've never seen Alabama baseball focus the way they did on Saturday in those double headers. Um, I think we had one era in 18 innings of baseball. I mean, that's incredible. <clears throat> and it was just like those guys were, our guys were on a mission. And everything was working. The pitching was working. The offense was working. The defense was just stellar. And, I mean, it was just a beautiful thing. It was really, really amazing. And um, you know, some of us veteran parents who've been around now for you know four years, we've we've never really witnessed anything like that as far as the the sheer focus of every minute of the of both games on Saturday, and then Sunday. I thought we had it going pretty well. I think we had some some kind of nervous hands, if you will, on defense a couple of times at, at really unfortunate times that hurt us. Um, you know, the son got away with Chandler Taylor at a very unfortunate time over in right field that that hurt us. Um, of course, he was doing all he could do on, on offense. I mean, he had a tremendous weekend at bat. But then I, I really do feel that when we come to the midweek games – there is so much intensity and so much pressure to win on the weekend SEC games that there there might be a little bit of a, a let – the boys let up a little bit, you know. Um, they've given it all they've got. And that's what a lot of, I think, fans don't realize what goes into the weekend series and how intense those are. And so when they come back for weekday games, and by no means am I saying that it's okay or making an excuse for it, but um it's just hard to get that level of intensity up for u a b That's the bottom line um, They need to be able to get that level of intensity up you know for for um you know as far as regional points and what have you go and you know and I know that the guys know that but I just think it's a matter of they had just come come off one of the most successful outings that any Alabama baseball team has had there in 20, 30 years, and it was just really hard to say, okay, let's go beat UAB now. Um, And that's nothing against UAB. Those guys came out playing like their pants were on fire. And, you know, we we didn't play like our pants were on fire. Um, And it showed. It showed. We couldn't hit our pitching um, off, and, um, you know, I know our guys were – our pitchers were giving it everything they had, but UAB was fired up, and they were ready to – you know, UAB wants to beat us in in every sport they possibly can play us in.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, it's a big deal to them, and um, I just think our biggest problem Tuesday was that, that we were still mentally exhausted from the LSU series
2: right and i can understand that page hopefully it's a, a something that the uh the team will learn from and uh you know baseball more than any sport is a marathon not a sprint it's not the, the end of the world and it's very disappointing but hopefully they'll learn from it and understand that you don't want to drop too many of the midweek contests because it can uh be the difference in hosting or even a two or a three seed and Hopefully um, they'll uh, they it, it won't happen too many more times. Actually, uh, until the UAB game in Southern Miss, the last couple they have played pretty well uh, in the midweek. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, it's just one of those things. I think, as you said, UAB's been kind of struggling. I think they were eight and eleven coming in, and they use it. Uh, it was their Super Bowl, and uh, Alabama's just going to have to pick up the intensity. But uh, now it's a special series because it's the home SEC series hope opener against tennessee as we brought you in uh we know uh, alabama likes to beat tennessee in just about every sport and tennessee is struggling a little bit but uh alabama in the sec as you know you've been through the wars uh, with georgie for now four years that you just you made a great point of what you talked about uh just as the segment started you don't want to get swept and you don't want to lose series at home
6: Mm-mm. No, you, you don't. You 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 know we've we've already dropped one to Houston. Of course, right. that was non non conference, but still, that you just don't want to do that. Um, you most certainly don't want to get swept, and you never know with baseball. It's it's such a different sport than than yes. football or basketball or, or any of the other sports. I mean, as you know, hitting's contagious and not hitting is contagious, and, you know, mm-hmm. when when the pitchers have got their thing going and, and it's flowing nicely, that that sets the tone as well, you know, for the game, and I, I think that as far as Alabama and Tennessee matching up um, numbers-wise, you know, they're not all that strong on offense, but I don't want to right. jinx us because the as sure as I say that, they'll have the most spectacular weekend of hitting that they've had. Um, you know, and Lord knows us baseball people are just crazy when it comes to um, the mojo and, and bad luck or good luck or saying the wrong thing or standing in the wrong place at the ball game for so those superstitions. <laughs> but um, you know, we're we're, we're I think we're pretty evenly matched on defense. I think we're pretty evenly matched on the, the pitching part. Our pitchers may be – I think our pitching ERA is probably better than theirs. But um, overall, I think that the two staffs are pretty good matchups. So by no means is is this just a walk-away um, victory weekend for us. I mean, we're going to have to, you know, bust our tail to get two out of three against Tennessee. It's not going to come easily. I do think that we're going to have a, a very large turnout this weekend. It's alumni mm-hmm. weekend. Um, right. I think we're going to have a ton of students there. I think we'll have, you know, the standing room only in in the, the outfield area of the stadium. And I think that makes a huge difference for our guys. I um, hope the students come back out Saturday Support and supporting for sure, you know, let's get those first two and get them out of the way. Um, Ike Holtz looked great this past Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he has been – he's had a little bit of a forearm issue, but he right. did incredibly well on Sunday. And I, I think they gave him 50 pitches and then said, okay, you're going to be done after 50. And they stuck to that game plan uh, for him. And, and that really set us off on, on a great – Uh, start to sweep and win on Sunday. You know, he did his job. He did a great job. Um, Mm -hmm. And if he can keep doing that and and maybe go on into maybe, I don't know, six innings or get on up to around 60 pitches, 65 pitches on Sunday, um, you know, we need him to to stay in there as as long as he can, but not injure himself in any form or fashion because we need him – to um, go for the rest of the season and be our our Sunday starting pitcher.
2: Yeah, that that is a great point, Paige. And if it, you know that's just some circumstances. If he and Thomas Burroughs are completely healthy, it's probably a sweep. No disrespect, to LSU, but it gives the team a lot of confidence. And also getting Connor Short hopefully back soon. He's been swinging the bat well, and got to be happy for a senior from Shreveport like Daniel Kujan who. Has been in and out of lineup, but has done a nice job when called upon this year at third and has swung the bat pretty well and hopefully will lead to more playing time for him and, uh, and hopefully he can follow uh, Chance Vincent up, who's having a very good year as a senior as well. Those guys are do in the program, and you'd like to see them go out and have a good year in this new ballpark.
6: Yeah, um, Thomas Burroughs is going to be back this weekend. You know, thankfully when he injured his mm-hmm. oblique, he realized it immediately and didn't throw another pitch. Yes. And, um, we you know, that's, this
5: weekend,
6: Paige. yeah, yeah, we definitely do. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize we didn't have Thomas Burroughs this past weekend when we beat L.A.
2: Exactly. You know, <laughs> we didn't have Connor
6: right. short. We didn't have, we had to, you know, shift some people around and do some different things and they still managed to win the series, which is just, you know, that's just incredible, you know, and I, I was so proud of them for that. Daniel Pugin, uh, he had one little weird bobble the whole weekend at third base. And the, it was, quite frankly, a ball that was rolling so slowly that it was making all these weird bounces. And it just went under his glove um, at a very inopportune time. But other than that one one era, I mean, Daniel was strong at third base. He really was. He was hitting the ball very hard. He was tearing the cover off of it. Unfortunately, it was going straight to somebody's glove which, you know, Georgie has experienced a lot of that this year. Um, Georgie doesn't have very many strikeouts at all but but he is managing to hit some line drives right to the outfield and and uh, there's a, been a lot more of that than I would hope for and uh, and he would hope for certainly. Um, but I think that hopefully as, as the season, you know, Georgie always has a better last half of the season than he usually does the first half at bat. Um, I hope that he comes on a little bit stronger, a little bit sooner this year since he is a senior. And I hope some of his uh, balls, you know, start start dropping, start getting in the gap a little bit more.
2: Absolutely. Well, Paige, we really appreciate the time and the update on Crimson Tide baseball. You always bring such a unique Perspective, because of you've been around the program for so long, and of course, your son Georgie has played such an integral role uh, in the baseball program. Uh, But we thank you for joining us, and it's always great. And I look forward to going through Birmingham soon and uh, and, uh, taking and uh, being able to eat at Asian Rim again. As Carrie has already said, the food is great, the customer service is great, and it's a beautiful place. And look forward to uh, uh, seeing you soon. Thank you for joining. Okay,
6: thanks, guys. Roll tide.
2: Roll tide. All right, and, da- and now uh, we're going to go back uh, to the Asian Rim hotline and uh, to a guest. I've been texting with this young man for a few weeks and you know he went on a little bit of a vacation and now he's also been to Paradise which is known as Tuscaloosa Alabama this past Monday which will be his home for college and he is a native of the Yellowhammer State but now lives in the state of Virginia and he will be an invited walk on and put on the crimson jersey in just a few months and I know he's super excited about it and we're honored uh, to be joined right now uh by Mac Herford, the former uh, Mountain Brook Spartan, but now uh applying his trade in the state of Virginia. And Mac, welcome to BAMs Radio and I hope we got the last name right.
0: Um, yes, sir. Uh that's right. Uh most people you know, they say Hereford or Hereford or whatever, but, um it's all the same to me.
2: Absolutely. Uh, we just want to make sure we're kind – of, uh, because I, my my last name is DeArm and it gets butchered every which way but but loose, and we just want to make sure that we're pronouncing your last name correctly. And, of course, we hope to hear it over the loudspeakers and uh, hear it, of course, uh, when you're uh, playing for the Crimson Tide. But just, I guess, welcome to the program and, and kind of tell our listeners uh, your history and how you got to this point. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much
0: for me on. I really appreciate it. And, well, so it started out when I was uh, really young. Uh, I've always loved the Crimson Tide. And being a fourth generation um, at the University of Alabama, you know, it's, it felt like I was destined to go there. And I've I've loved football and, you know, played since I was very young. And when I went to Mountain Brook High School, I liked it there a lot, and football was going well. But I really wanted to, you know, go somewhere to be more independent and grow and develop as a person and Woodbury Forest School in Virginia seemed to be the place to do that. And so I made that switch my freshman year in high school and kept on thinking I'd go to Alabama and kept playing football and working hard and this I've been going to the Nick Saban football camp for a while. And this past year or past summer, I went to the camp and did really well and talked to the coaches and let them know, you know, I really want to be a part of this program. There's no other place I'd rather be. Uh, And I kept in touch with him after that. And then I got invited to a game and had a dream visit then and, you know, kept in touch after that. And uh, the preferred walk-on offer uh, presented itself and I took it right away knowing that, you know, I play at Alabama.
5: And congratulations on that, Mac. This is Kerry Clark with Scout.com. I know you've spoken to my coworker John Garcia, a few times, and I'm Drew's co-host here. I wanted to ask you, uh, as far as your high school career goes, obviously you had a a great career as a receiver, but I was curious, we always like to ask our guests this, did you play any other sports?
3: I did. Uh, I played
0: varsity since my freshman year at Woodbury, and I I run varsity outdoor track and indoor track and played basketball. And
5: tell myself later. Well, those are all sports that will help you as a receiver. Uh, I understand <laughs> your current size is somewhere around 6'2", 200. Is that about right?
0: Yes, sir. I've gained a little bit. I'm more of uh, seven around that.
2: Uh, well, that, and, Mac, we uh, that we appreciate you again for joining us. And uh, I know it's got to be a dream come true for you for uh, as you said, uh, you, you've got a fourth generation, and uh, you've been wanting to play at Alabama for a long time. And I guess uh, when you – I know you, uh, you, they have a very solid program at Mountain Brook, but how did uh, the uh, – when you had tra- decided to transfer uh, in, in Virginia uh, to Woodbury Forest, how did that help you develop as a player? Cool.
0: yeah, Or or and living I live there but boarding school, I I really get to bond with them a lot. So you really wanna play for your team <laughs> It makes you laugh. You know, there was never a time when, if I wanted to get some work in here, I could do that because we have football fields and we have the facilities to do so.
5: Back as a, a guy that played receiver back in the day, I always like to ask this: So, what's your favorite pass route?
0: Probably the post, uh, that or the uh, curl route. I love both of those a lot. Yes, sir. I
5: was a ten and out guy myself. They always saw this go with the left back
2: one, and nobody can cover it, and I think that's that's accurate, yes sir, <laughs> and then I gotta ask you, Mac, I know you just went on a visit to Alabama, and we've been texting, and you uh you went on your visit this past Monday after the the team and the coaches got back on uh from spring break as they're going through their first full week of spring drills, but kind of tell- tell us how you know how that visit went and who you spoke with and just, I know you've also spoken to John Garcia, a great friend of the show about it, but just kind of tell our listeners about that visit and what all the coaches and told you. And of course, who all, again, what all you were able to experience. He just dropped off. I'll, I'll try and get him back.
5: Yeah, that was a kind of a rough connection. Hopefully uh, maybe this next trial be a little better. Uh, some things listeners uh, are beyond our control uh, you know, when somebody calls or we call them, they don't have a good connection. They kind of drop in and drop out. And that's uh, that's part of the thing. Any radio station deals with that, not just Internet radio. But we will try to get Mac back as quick as we can and uh, get a few more questions in with him. And, uh, you know, while Thomas is working on Mac, Drew, uh, the world of recruiting never stops in football or basketball. And I understand Avery Johnson's had a little road trip this week.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's been uh he's been uh, he was he went to see of course Christian Vital, uh the a point guard committed to UNLV. He's been out to see him and he's also been in the state of Florida uh visiting Bruno Fernando as he was adamant about saying after the debacle in Omaha, which what you know everyone was disappointed in how that ended, but still this team overachieved. Uh they went 18 and 15 and surpassed a lot of expectations. He's not through recruiting. He wants to add some pieces, wants to, I think, add two to three more pieces to this class. And I think the fifth-year graduate transfers are going to be very interesting uh, as the NCAA tournament winds down. And it's completely down for the SEC as uh, Texas A&M has just finished getting mud uh by the Oklahoma Sooners. So goodbye to the Sooners, goodbye to the Hurricanes. And, and uh, Villanova and Oklahoma march on as two seeds. Uh, but, again, I think Avery Johnson realizes this team was probably two wins away from the big dance and uh, they're going to they've added four pieces and he wants to add two to three more and if you can bring in six or seven quality guys you got a chance to to dance next year and be improved and i think the team will and especially when you consider uh, this staff will get a full off season to improve the current guys on the team and you hope minimally there will be very little attrition from the current roster because there's still a lot of potential with those guys and a lot of them to get better I think there's only one lost cause in the whole group and you know we'll see if the if the coaches (laughs) believe that now he he may return for his senior season and and uh, they may believe that he can become a valuable role player it would be uh, a boon if he could improve that much to actually be a factor a viable factor next year Uh, and maybe he can I mean he does have some talent I think everybody knows I'm talking about Michael Kessens, but I mean, uh, and, and maybe he can help them, but at the very least, I think they want to add a couple guys, like a post player and probably a wing, uh, since Terrence Ferguson is very likely headed to the old Miss of college basketball in Baylor to never win anything and go out and lose to Yale in the first round of the tournament. Uh, very Godfrey-like, but, but we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I You know, I, there was even a report today on Tider Insider that Ferguson might not be done with Alabama, but... The problem is, I think Terrence Ferguson's always wanted to go to Alabama. His mother wants to cast a check from Baylor, so I think you know in that in the, in the hindsight that that situation, I think it's a lost cause. Ferguson's visited Arizona this week officially. If I were Alabama fans, I would not get my hopes up in that situation. You got to hope Avery again can find a post and can find a, maybe a wing guy to come in and help another Arthur Edwards type addition, and maybe even if if possible, two post players. And if that happens then sayonara to Mr. Kessens.
5: Alright Drew, we got Mac back, so let's swap back to football real quick.
2: Absolutely. Mac, can we have you back, man.
5: Yes, sir. Sorry about that. I don't know uh what happened.
2: Uh well, it's all good. It's all technology, man. A lot of us it's something we can't ha we can't really help. But we just wanted you to kind of comment on your visit. This past Monday, I know you had a great time. You told me it was outstanding, and I know you got a chance to talk to the coaches and some players and just kind of let our listeners know how that trip went this past Monday.
0: Yes, sir. Well, so I didn't really know what to expect uh, going in, you know, it's preferred walk-on, uh, how they would treat me or whatever, but I arrived at the Malmoor facility and um, met with some of the coaches or met with the Jody Wright, and uh, he took me around the, the facilities, and I got to go to the – Incredible uh, team meeting room and the other positional meeting rooms and everything, and see all that. Uh, I got to go to the stadium and uh, the locker rooms, and got to see the all the fields and everything, and got to just see everything at the campus. I got to go to the uh, academic side of things as well, uh, and I really had just I had an incredible time. They treated me so well, and it was a dream come true. Um, earlier, I had a visit, you know, like I said, uh, in the year for a game, but. This, I mean, I don't know if uh, either – you know, both of them were just incredible. But uh, I'm just proud of the way Alabama treats guys like me here, you know, not the scholarship guys. But I really did have an awesome
5: time. Mac, you did mention academics there. Uh, Where are you looking uh, as far as a major, or are you still kind of wide open on that?
0: I'm still open, but I'm leaning towards communications or business uh, at the moment. But really I'm just going to see where – I end up and see what interests me when I get to college.
5: Sounds and cool. Mac, I, I know I can. I can, uh, I can vouch communications myself, but I'm going to get that Air Force <laughs> oh, question. Oh well, yeah, it's pretty I, damn good, man.
2: Yeah, the communications school is very good. I went to. I took. Some, I took. I, I I majored in journalism when I was at Alabama. Very good school, and the business school is also very good. My brother was a part of that, and uh, you couldn't go wrong either way. And then with the way this program is, being a part of it. Uh, as an invited walk on the, the thing with coach Sabin is he's going to give you an opportunity uh it doesn't really matter if you're a walk on or if you're a scholarship guy he you've seen walk ons and i'm sure you've uh you, you know about M- Michael Nicewander this past year and uh Kelly Johnson in years past they they've had a bunch of walk on guys that have become integral parts of the program that uh and they get rings just like everyone else and uh, i know uh, and and uh, and they've even and, you know in Nice Wonder may have a chance to play in the NFL. So and of course the walk on of all walk ons, Rashad Johnson, who is still in the NFL with uh, the Phoenix Cardinals. Coach Saban uh, turned uh, turned him into a scholarship player. But what is your ultimate goal, Mac? What do you want to accomplish at Alabama?
0: Well, uh, you know I want to. I would love to play um, sometime in my career, but really. I want to be a part of that program. I've been wanting to be a part of it for years, and that in itself has been kind of true. But realizing that, you know, I have to, I'm setting new goals for myself. And, um, you know, I'd love to play and love to be a part of the program. And really I'm looking to get out of it, uh, to, you know, to become a better person. And I know it's going to make me a better player, but I really think the leadership and things I will get from Coach Saban and the other coaches and guys um, is what's really going to make me Uh, happy in the end and the brotherhood that we're going to have there but i you know i'm just going to work as hard as i can and do whatever i can to help the team
5: one more quick one for me uh mac uh, tell me i I know you have only met him a few times but what what are your impressions so far of of coach napier
0: oh coach napier is an awesome guy he um you know, I, I talked to him just for a brief moment uh, when I was on my visit this past Monday, and you know, he's just a he's a really nice guy. Um, makes me feel welcome to the team. Told me he's happy to have me there, and said they might try me there, or um, I might be tried at H back or whatever. So I'm really excited, and he's a good guy, sir.
2: And then, and Mac, we we probably need to go over that. I know you uh, you'll probably start out at wide receiver, but. Once you get with Coach Cochran, who you're going to become very familiar with and probably already are with the weight program, there's a good chance they're going to put uh, you know, 20 or 30 pounds of muscle on you. You could end up being an H-back or a tight end, and, and, uh, and really the H-back fullback because they, Alabama is still one of these squads that uses it. What would be your thoughts on uh, moving to an H-back position?
0: Uh, well, like I said earlier, wherever they need me, I'm willing to play. I love football, and so I just love to be on the field and love to help out the team. And If that's where they need me, I'd love to play there. I think that, uh, you know, I'm training uh, my blocking and receiving as well and just keeping up and going to try to learn as many positions as I can. So if they were to change me, I'd be happy to go there or
2: happy to stay a wide receiver, so either either one. Yeah, and I know, know you've got to be super excited for this opportunity, and – uh, and and again, uh, talk when, when you uh, when you said you were you've always grown up kind of wanting to be a, a a part of the program. But we know you had a really good high school career. So just kind of let everybody know uh, before you ultimately decided to take this step and become an invited walk on at Alabama. What were your other options out there?
0: Well, the my junior year. Uh, Prince and Express interest. I went to their junior day. UPenn invited wow. me to their junior day, and some of the other Ivy leagues, and then Sanford University. I visited there my uh, junior winner. and so those schools, uh, a lot of b one FCS schools, were talking to me, and obviously D3 and D2, you know, giving me spots. Uh, but really, it was I was just waiting. If I were to get the Alabama spot, you know, I'd turn it down,
2: turn anything down for that. And that's. And that, that just goes to show you how much, and uh, we've already been talking about Kevin Turner in the first hour, and he was an Alabama native from Prattville, and of course you originally are from Mountain Brook. It just goes to show how much it means to be a part of the program and, and put the jersey on, and uh, we know that you're going to be an integral part of the program, we look forward to that, and i got to tell you, another guy that walked in your shoes, he could be the next Michael Meiswander in fullback, and I don't know if you've met him yet, but just remember the name Jacob Parker because he's someone that's been grinding down there for a couple years, and now that Nice Wander has moved on, he may be getting his opportunity, and very soon that could be uh, something that, uh, that happens for you because you never know when your chance is going to come, and uh, with the, even with a program as talented as Alabama's, and I'll tell you what, uh, Nick Saban helps everyone in that program walk on to scholarship guy, and uh, you talked about wanting uh, to make you a better person. There's no doubt that Alabama's program will do that. And I wanted to ask you, have you had, have you and your family, I know you obviously got a, probably a chance to talk to coach Saban a little bit, uh, behind closed doors. What has been his message to you?
0: Well, I actually haven't, uh, gotten to speak to him much. I saw him briefly uh. at
2: the, um, uh,
0: my game visit and I was going mm-hmm. to speak to him in my, uh, visit that I had this past Monday. Uh, but like I right. said, I had to cut it early, um, Right, so I don't know what his message would be, but the other coaches have just been telling me that I need to work hard and stay in shape and,
2: you know, lift as much as I can and be ready for um, for the fall, or for May, actually. And then I wanted to also ask you, because you talked about him. He's one of the director. He's the director of player personnel. So I, the Alabama fans know his, kind of his title and who he is, but they don't – uh, hear about what his what he is uh, what how he relates to the players and you said he's been a big part of your process in choosing Alabama but kind of tell everybody about uh, your relationship with Jody Wright. Well, so when I was at uh, the Alabama football camp, I grew really
0: close mm-hmm. to his brother and his brother wow. Josh Wright, who coaches uh, football, and Josh introduced me to Jody, and ever since then, Jody, you know, he's just the he's a people person. He's a really great coach and great guy and he you know he's um he just kept in touch with me and every time he's seen me he just seems so excited and that makes you feel good and so he's doing his job at alabama right now um really well but he's a he's just stayed in touch with me and you know that's eventually i got the preferred walk-on spot offer.
2: and then finally uh yes just uh just talk to us about where well, have they talked to you about when you're going to start at alabama and uh when you're going to report and kind of maybe even what, uh, what number we might expect out of you when you uh, get down to the capstone?
0: Um. Uh, well, you know, I'm starting this May with uh, the rest of the team for um, lifting and conditioning this summer, uh, which I look forward to. And then for playing, you know, I don't know. We'll see um, when I get on the field, it's just up to them and how hard I work and how fast I develop as a player. And, i I have no clue what number yet I would love to wear a number to honor someone um important or special, so I have someone to play for um because that's something I like to do and we'll see um what that comes
2: to be, but I'll be looking out for someone to do that for absolutely and we look forward to that and we look forward to, i know you'll you' i'm sure you are you gonna return for a day and if so, I know' well, we look forward to seeing you out on the field uh, this coming fall, but are you going to be back for a day?
0: Uh, yes, sir. I will be. Um, I will be spring game and I'm really looking forward to it and can't wait to see what the team's going to do. So yes, sir. I'm I'm really excited.
2: Absolutely. We can tell, man. And we thank you for taking the time to join us uh, tonight. We're sorry about the little technical snafu and difficulty, but it, uh, the, the interview's gone very well. And we were glad to kind of bring the Bama Nation an inside look at you and I know they're going to enjoy listening to this uh, live and, of course, the podcast. And you can find it at www.bamsradio.com. And, Mac, we really appreciate it, sir. And we look forward to your journey as a Crimson Tide football player. Uh, it's always great when someone can realize their dreams. And it's been uh, really cool to have you on tonight and get to know you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, out on the gridiron of the capstone. What so many of us would love to do, but didn't have the. Fortunate, uh, the We weren't uh, blessed with the athletic ability that you have been, and also the intelligence. Uh, obviously, being recruited by Ivy League schools, but we just look forward to your experience at Alabama, and thank you for joining Bams tonight.
0: Yes, sir. Well, thank y'all so much. I really appreciate y'all's support, and uh, the Bama family has just been awesome. It's 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 really a, a blessing, and uh, I'm humbled by this whole experience. So, I really can't wait to get down there and uh, you know continue to the next part of my life. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, Mac. Max.
2: Appreciate you. That's Mac Herford, everybody. we invited Walker. I know the the next uh, caller on the Neighbors Wealth Management, or Neighbors Wealth Management, here's my first uh, uh, daffu with my other show. But uh, on the Asian Rim hotline, uh, Kerry, we know uh, the next caller's ready.
5: Yeah, and we're going to bring him on now because uh, we talked a lot about the loss of Kevin Turner and a little bit about the loss of Sang Lida, but we're going to bring on a good friend of this show and a good friend of mine now, uh, Colin Big C. McGuire of Greenville, Alabama, I believe you
7: know you knew Sang lotta very well. I certainly did. Um I wrote on somewhere that um on Facebook and I hated what's happened to him, but but the thing was that he was the assistant trainer when I was there. And when we went on road trips, the managers and trainers we'd ride in a van and most of the time he was in the van with us. So it was always fun, enjoyable riding with him and hear all kind of stories and stuff, you know, when he was there's a trainer and as a manager, and you know, in the old days, and like he started up there night in the early, 50s, late 50s with Charlie Pell and that group, and then stayed. I think he dropped of school for a while and then came back and then graduated. But he was there as the head student manager in 1965 when they won the national championship. In the- the night that Alabama, we played Vanderbilt in 1966, I mean, 679, excuse me, why did I say 66 For I was thinking about the score, 66-3. to 3. We was riding back and listening to the LSU Southern Cal game, and I remember some, the LSU did something wrong, and I remember he said, that's going to come back to home, and he was right. They ended up losing, like, something to 12, and, they, should have, they could have done something and didn't do it to take advantage of the game and didn't do it. But uh, he was a real good guy. And I remember we had a manager's reunion a few years ago up in Tuscaloosa after it was over at the press box over to his house. And his wife, Miss Jane, is a real nice lady. And his two girls are real nice people, too. So he's going to be missed. He
5: will. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time. To uh, call in and, and say a word about him, uh, we had William Barger hour one say a little bit about Kevin Turner, who was, uh, you know, his neighbor in Bryant Hall. So uh, we appreciate oh, yeah. you taking time to call in about uh, about saying. Uh, Thomas, I take it we're almost out of time.
1: Yes, we are. We'll get, we can't. We're, we're actually about to go off the air, but we'll have a podcast okay. that we can extend a little, so y'all can take a few minutes. No big deal.
5: All right. Well. Anything else you want to say about Big C? I'm told he had a pretty good personality, pretty funny guy. No, he did. Everybody was
7: funny, and he had a good sense of humor and everything. So, I mean, he – oh, yeah, everybody liked him. And, and, I mean, he was a sort of – he was a fixture like Willie Meadows was and Coach Goose Tree and all those other folks that were there, you know, under Coach Bryant. And, you know, he stayed on as head basketball trainer after – after Coach Bryant left, and uh, I don't know how long he's been retired, but I do know he, re- he moved down to Gulf Shores because he liked to play golf. And uh, that's not a you can withstand the hurricanes, that's not a bad place to go to if you can afford to live down that way.
5: That's true. That is quite true. Well, uh, we're getting ready now to to wrap up the show. Uh, We appreciate you calling in to talk about that, and we'll have you call in a little earlier next week, Big C. Thank you so much for supporting. All right, thank you. All All right. Thank you, Big C.
2: Roll Tide, man.
5: Have a good one. All right. So uh, it's been another good two-hour show. I appreciate uh, Thomas and and William and Drew taking that first hour by the bull by the horns. And uh, bearing with me as I was a little late, but – we are going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, so thank you all for listening to BAM's Radio, for Thomas Watts of Tufftown Alabama Magazine, uh, for Rudy Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone. Thank you to our guests, William Barger, Mac Herford, Paige Hockman, and Colin McGuire. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BAMMAG.com, wishing you good night and roll tide for BAM's Radio.